Good morning. It is great to see you here this morning. We're always thankful for your presence. We especially say that if you're visiting with us, we are so honored to have you. If you have your Bibles and you would turn to the book of John, chapter 8, we'll continue our study from there. If you have been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we started in John chapter 8, verse number 1, these first 11 verses, and we talked about Christ being the light of man's heart that everything is open and laid bare before him, that he is divine in his nature because he alone can read the minds of men. Only God has that ability. We also talked then, secondly, about Christ being the light of the world from about chapter 8, verse 12 forward, just a few verses, with regards to Christ being the light of man's life. And Jesus talks about the fact, and he announces again, I am the light of the world. We are in our third section of the chapter, and we're at about verse number 19 down to about verse number 30 this morning, and we'll talk about Christ being the light to God. He lights the way to the Father. You need Jesus for that. The book, as we mentioned in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, that is written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing we might have life through his name. And that is the emphasis of the book and the claim of Jesus. That's what he keeps saying. Now, that is evoking in his day, that created a lot of division among the people. In fact, that's one of the phrases that you read very frequently in this book. There was a division among the people. In chapter 7 ends with that thought, and you'll find it throughout the book that there is a division. It occurs again in chapter 9 and many other places. They were forming their thoughts and their opinions about Jesus, much like people do today. The claim is very clear. I'm divine. I am God in the flesh. That is the claim, and that's the claim that John makes, the spirits reveals, and that's what Jesus keeps saying. And some people heard that claim and thought he was mad. That was one of the conclusions. This is a madman. Why would you bother listening to him? In John chapter 10, that's what they say. At least some of the Jews said that. In John chapter 10, verses 19 to 21, verse number 19 says, a division occurred among the people. It occurred among the people again, and some of them were saying, he has a demon and he's insane. He has a demon and he's a madman. And others said, well, these aren't the words of a madman. These aren't the words and the works of a demon-possessed man. And so there was a division among the people. And that's one thought. If he's not who he says he is, then he's a madman. Who goes around claiming to be divine? Jesus is making that claim. A second conclusion was he's a liar. He's blaspheming and he's dishonest. In John chapter 5, verses 17 to 19, that's the conclusion there. Jesus said, with reference to his father, that my father is working hitherto, and I work. My father has been working, and I'm working. And the Jews took up stones to kill him. And the verses say that they did that not simply because he had broken the Sabbath, but because he, being a man, made himself equal with God. That's why they did it, and that's what he was saying. I'm equal to God. They said, he's, he's blaspheming. He's dishonest. He's a liar. The third option is... He's telling the truth, that he is precisely who he said he is. 
And that also was a conclusion drawn by many. John writes this book, John the Apostle. He ends the book with that testimony. John chapter 21 and verse 24, John says with reference to Christ and his deity, John says in verse 24, this is the disciple who is testifying to these things, and he wrote these things, and we know his testimony is true. Jesus is divine, and he's telling the truth about that, and you need to believe that. That's what he continued to say to the apostles, or to the Jews, rather, in these conversations. And in John chapter 8, that's what he's testifying. I've been in a religious conversation with someone, and they actually said these words to me. They said, Jesus never claimed to be divine. He said only his, his followers made that up. They claimed it for him, but he never claimed it. I just imagine they've never read the book of John, because that's nearly all he does in this book, is claim it. In fact, here in John chapter 8 and verse 18, the first part of that verse, he says, I am he who testifies about myself. And so please understand, that's exactly what he's doing, and he's been doing it from the beginning of the book. Go back to John chapter 4 and listen to him, his claim there. The woman who he met in Samaria, in verse number 24, the Bible says, God is spirit, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will declare unto us all things. Verse number 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. I am the Christ. The one you're talking about that's coming, I am he. And if you go back and you read the prophecies, what's very clear is the one who is coming will be divine in his nature. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, he will be called wonderful, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah that's coming, the anointed of God. He will be, Matthew 1, 23, God with us. That's the one that's coming. And so when she says, I know he's coming, and Jesus says, I'm him, well, that is a claim of divinity. Not the only one he makes, though. In John chapter 5, in verse number 17, beginning, that conversation with the Jews about God being his father, they understood his claim. They understood that if you make God your father, you're saying you're equal with God. That's the claim. Read it there in verse number 17 and 18. Jesus answered them, my father has been working, and now I'm working. Verse number 18 says, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, note the last expression, making himself equal with God. Father and son, to their ears, didn't have the connotation of senior, junior. It didn't have the connotation of superior, inferior. It had the connotation of equality. And that's exactly what they heard. And if you, being a man, are calling God your father, you're making yourself equal with God. And that is exactly what he was doing. Turn over to John chapter 10 and listen to a similar conversation there. It starts in verse 22, and it's about this very thing. Verse 22 says, at that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. 
And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Listen to their question. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You remember, that's what the woman at the well said. We know Messiah is coming who's called Christ. Jesus said, I am. That's me. Now they ask, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's the claim again. I, I told you already, I'll tell you again, I and the Father, we're one. Notice their reaction in the very next verse. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. You know, we read that in John chapter 5, and in John chapter 5, he said God was his father. And they understood he made himself equal with God. When he did that, they took up stones to stone him. So doesn't it seem odd that they would ask him again? Tell us plainly. That's why Jesus says, I already told you. He didn't believe it. And what was the response when I told you? They took up stones to stone him. And so now he tells them again. What's their reaction? Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works. So which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Absolutely he claimed it. He kept on claiming. And he is saying it again in John chapter 8. Last week, we looked at chapter 5, verses 33 to 47, and he's not the only one who claimed it. John testified of him. The works testified of him. The Father testified. The Scriptures testified. Moses wrote of him. And in John chapter 8, he is saying it again. I am the light of the world. But in this section, he is the light that lights your way to the Father. Without Jesus, you cannot get to the Father. And without Jesus, there are dire consequences to not believe in him. And so, three points this morning, Christ and his claims, the Jews and their reaction, and the consequences of non-belief or unbelief. To his claims, he keeps saying the same thing. I and the Father are one. Start with me there in verse number 18, down to verse number 20, where Jesus says, I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would have known my Father also. These words spoke in the treasury as he taught him in the temple, and once no one sees them because his time or his hour had not yet come. His claim is, I and the Father were the same. And in every respect they are. Throughout the book, if we were to try to enumerate all of the ways, one of them would be the same nature. That our nature is the same. In fact, that's how the book opens. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. There are two beings being spoken of. There is the Word, and there is God. And the Word was with, and the Word was. It is the same nature being described. And that word, verse 14 of John 1, was made flesh. And so the one who is walking around them, tabernacling among them in the flesh, is the divine nature. That's what he keeps saying. Yes, I and my Father are one. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Jews looking at the physical and constantly misunderstanding. Here is again another section where they will miss what Jesus is saying. They are so fixated on their earthly and, and physical thoughts that they're missing the nature of Christ. The evidence is in what he's doing, which is why he keeps saying, if you don't believe me, believe the works. Who could do what I'm doing? Who else could do that but God? Same nature. We read it just a moment ago in 5, 17, and 18. My Father has been working, and I'm working. When you open your Bible and start reading, what you're reading is the Father working. Now, in the immediacy, what you read is Genesis 1 and the Father working to build the world. And by Father, I mean the Godhead in this context. The Godhead is working, but it's driven by the Father. And so the Father says, let there be light, and the Word makes light. And so each member will have a part in working. But I'm talking about after chapter 3, when sin enters the world, the Father is the primary worker in redemption moving forward. The Father is the one making the promises to Abraham. When Jesus says, my Father has been working, he's talking about not chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. He's talking about on the other side of chapter 3. When sin entered into the world, God went back to work. You know in the material creation, his work actually ended. It's called day 6. And we open up chapter 2, and the Bible says God ceased from his labor. And so, yes, he started working, but by chapter end of, end of day six, he stopped. But you know, Jesus says, my father has been working. On what? Well, not material creation. He finished that, and on the seventh day, he rested. He stopped working. So how has he been working? He has been working to bring me. That's what Jesus is saying. He made the promises to Abraham. He delivered the people from, the, from Egyptian bondage. He gave them the law on Sinai. He went through the period of the judges. He worked through the kings and the prophets. He sent them into captivity, brought them back from captivity. He finally reached the end of Malachi, and he stopped. And for 400 years, there was no word from him. And then John came on the scene to forerun for me. My father has been working, and now I'm here in the flesh, and I'm working. What are you working on, Lord? I'm going to finish his work, and I'm trying to get you to believe. That's the work. It's the same work. That's it. It's the same nature, yes, and the same mission. 
We're doing the same thing. We're working together to save you, the very people he's talking to are the very people that God worked through and with in the Old Testament, and now he, Christ, the Word, stands in front of them, their descendants, and he says, now I'm working. And what are they doing? They're rejecting and not believing. He says we're the same, same nature, same home. He constantly says, he sent me. He sent me, John 8, 22 and 23, the Jews will surely say unto him, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Where are you from? From heaven. Before Abraham was, I am. I am before we made the world. I made it all. And I'm before it. John 8, 58, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. They said, you're not yet 50 years old. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. I am eternal. I am divine. I come from the same home. I come from heaven. He sent me. John chapter 1, verses 32, John the immerser says, I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize told me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending in a dove, that's him. And John says, I knew him not, but once I saw that, I knew that was him. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, when you're reading about Jesus being baptized and he comes out of the water and the Spirit descends like a dove, that's John's signal. John says, that, that's, that's the one. He told me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending like a dove, that's it. It's the same nature. It's the same home. It's the same mission. It's the same message. I and my Father are one. He would say to Philip in John chapter 14, have I been so long time with you, Philip? And have you not known me? Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father, and it'll satisfy us. Jesus says, have I been so long time with you, Philip, and have you not known me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How is that possible? Because we're the same. In John chapter 1, verse 18, John will say, no one has seen the Father at any time. No man has seen the Father at any time. And now Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, what does he mean by that? No one has ever seen the Father in his spirit form. No one has ever seen that. Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock as God passed by and proclaimed his name. No one could see God and live. And yet Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, how is that possible then? Let me ask it another way. Suppose the Father came from heaven and took on flesh. How would be he different from Jesus? In no way. You see, there is one divine nature possessed by three individuals, and that divine nature is the same. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, all the same nature, and thus God, divine if one of them comes to earth and takes on flesh, it wouldn't be any different if any of the other members did the same. It's all the same nature. That's the Lord's point. If you've seen me, you've seen the divine nature in a body. It's not almost God. It's not close to God. It's not a small G God. It's not a little God. It's not a likeness of God. It's actually the same nature. I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, 
you've seen the Father. That's the claim. That's Jesus testifying of himself. It's why he can, the only one who can light the way to the Father. The Jews, secondly, respond to that. And what we find in this chapter and sadly throughout this book, most of them did not believe. They did not believe Jesus. They did not believe the Father. They did not believe the works. They did not believe John, Scripture, or Moses. They did not believe. Well, why didn't they believe? It's not for lack of evidence. That's what Jesus keeps saying. Lord, just look at the works. Which of the works? Which of the works? They do see the works. They admit the works, but they don't believe. Why not? There's at least three reasons. Number one, they had power they did not want to lose. They did not want to relinquish their power, and they wanted to hold on to it, and believing in Jesus would cost them their power. And so, they refused to believe. Look at John chapter 9. One of the great things about the Bible, and I mean one of the great things about the Bible, is that very often, the Bible will give you the thoughts and the intentions of the actors. It won't just give you the actions. Now, we can't read each other's hearts. And we couldn't read theirs either. But God can. The Holy Spirit can. And God knows why you're doing what you're doing, not just what you're doing. And so God will then explain, here's why they did it. Well, here's one of those whys. In John chapter 19, or John chapter 9 rather, in verse number 18, the Bible says the Jews did not believe him. They did not believe in him. Well, the him in question is the man that was blind, and he now sees. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe he was blind. And so, verse 18 says, the Jews did not believe in him that he had been blind and had received sight until they, the, they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. And so, they don't believe him. They call his parents, and they question them. Verse 19, they say, is this your son who you say was born blind? Well, then, how does he now see? You give us some answers. One, is this your son? Hopefully, you can identify your children. <laughs> Secondly, you say he was born blind. Hopefully, you would know whether or not your child was born blind or not. And you wouldn't go around saying it if it's not true. Hopefully. Thirdly, they want to know how does he see. Verse 21 says, verse 20, his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Okay, two out of three. We know this is our son, and we know he was born blind. The third question, though, but how he sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. Well, they already did that. They didn't believe. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, behind the scenes, behind the thoughts, behind the hearts and the minds, verse 22 says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. This might come as a surprise to you, but some people don't like you because they have already chosen not to like you. I know you thought it was your shoes. It's not your shoes. <laughs> it's not your hair. They have a a place, some power. We can put you out of the synagogue. We can fix it so you can't come here 
and have the scriptures read and worship and have this community, we will kick you out. And the parents feared that. And we have already agreed that if anybody confessed him to be the Christ, then they'll be put out. That's why they don't believe. That's at least one reason. There's another one, though. Look at John chapter 11. There's another reason they don't believe. It's, it's they have power. They have position. Have you ever talked to somebody about Jesus and about the Bible, and they say to you what it would cost them to give up? If I came to Jesus, I would have to— if, if I did that, I would have to give up my— you know, I play in the band. You know, I have—my my parents are. You know, they're chartered members of. You know, I would have to give up my—they feel the same way. They feel the exact same way. And so, they won't believe. In verse number 47, the Bible says, Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. They're talking about Jesus behind closed doors. Here's what's being said. What are we doing? For this man is performing many miracles. That's not the apostles saying that. That's not the disciples saying that. That's the Jews saying that. What are they admitting? This man is performing many miracles. You know, one of their own, Nicodemus, one of their own in John chapter 3 said to Jesus, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do the works that you're doing. To admit that he's doing miracles is to admit that God is with him. And yet, they have no problem saying, this man is doing many miracles. Here's the question. What are we going to do? I know. Believe him. And go to glory then. Believe him. No, that's not the choice they make. Not at all. We just keep reading. The Bible says, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Let all and believe in him. Absolutely. But they say, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And we can't lose that. We cannot give up our place. We cannot give up our nation. Eventually, Caiaphas says, it's better for one man to die for the nation than for everything else to be lost. We'll just kill him. When they don't believe, it's not because there's not enough evidence. It's not because Jesus didn't say it right. Sometimes Christians get bogged down with the way it's said. Well, sometimes, you know what? You people aren't nice enough. Boy, I wish I knew the formula for nice enough because I'd use it. I, I wish I knew the magic words for nice enough. Let's say those words then. Was Jesus not nice enough? That's the problem. Did Jesus not say it right? That's the problem. No, that's not the problem at all. They've agreed already. They have something to lose, our power, our place, our position. And so they refuse to believe. Just one more thought. Pilate says, and he knew, Matthew 27, 18, he knew for envy they delivered him. Well, there's the reasons they don't believe. Christ then, when they again acknowledge their refusal to believe, he begins to talk to them about consequences of this decision. 
there are consequences to not believing in Jesus. You and I could say, well, there's consequences to not believing in God. That's right, there are. And so we should meet people where they are, start the conversation there. If somebody needs evidence for God's existence, let's start there. Psalm 14, 1, the Bible will say, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so let's start, because God intended to give witness. He's not left himself without witness, Acts 14. He has given the creation to speak for him and to manifest his glory, Psalm 19. There's ample evidence already presented by God for a person to believe, and therefore it'd be foolish to believe everything that exists is a big bang and an accident. It would random chance and natural select. Well, that'd be foolish to believe that. It'd be foolish to believe it all made itself. It'd be foolish to believe that matter is eternal. We know that it's not. These things would be foolish. So if we're talking about believing in God, let's get down the road of Christian evidence and let's talk about that. But that's not the context here. Context not necessarily believing in God in that way. The context is believing Christ is divine. That's the context. And so a rejection of Christ is also a rejection of Jesus, certainly so. And there are consequences, some of which have already been talked about. You remember in John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman, he said, with regards to that water, that he who drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. Well, what if you don't drink of the water? Well, then you will thirst. Your soul will be thirsty for the, the duration of your life. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, if you eat of the bread, the bread of life is he. If you eat of the bread, you'll never hunger. Well, what happens if you don't eat of the bread? You will hunger. John chapter 8 and verse number 12, Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. What if you don't follow him? Well, then you will walk in darkness. That's what that means. John chapter 8 and verse 36, Jesus said, listen, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Well, what if you don't come to the Son? Well, then you'll live in bondage. There are consequences. He's already talked about these things. But he specifically hones in on one consequence here. And it might be, arguably, the most severe consequence. We open by asking who he is, and we talked about the options. He's not mad. He's not a liar. He's telling the truth. And, and so what the picture looks like is the infinite God of heaven, owing no one anything and giving to everyone everything, he made the world as he made us. Five days of creation, and then he made man in his own image, which we'll talk about tonight. Love to have you come back. And then we sinned. And in sin, he went back to work on our behalf, working through the Israelites and the bondage and the history and the judges and the kings and the prophets and the captivities and the returns. Work through all of that, the Father did. And then Christ came, the Word made flesh. Now, standing on earth in the face of these individuals, asking them to believe and saying, if you don't believe me, believe the works. The Father has worked, and I'm working, and what are we working on? Saving you, the very people he's talking to, God in the flesh with us, working to save us, and you don't believe. And now he's saying, now listen, if you don't believe, there are heavy consequences to that decision. With that in mind, read with me from verse 20. Listen to the conversation go back and forth. 
These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught them in the temple. No one sees him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. That was the warning. The Jews respond to that in verse 22. It's as if they didn't even hear it. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself. Will he? Since he says, what I'm going, you cannot come. That's not all he said. And so Jesus returns. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Notice verse 24 and how it opens. Therefore, therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, if you have the word he italicized in your Bible, he's not saying he. He is saying what he's been saying this entire book. He is saying what's being said in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Moses says, who shall I say sent me? I am that I am. What he is saying is, unless you believe that I am, you're what? That I am divine. That I am God in the flesh. Unless you believe that, what will happen, Lord? You will die in your sins. God made the world. We sinned. God came to the world. And God said, you need to believe me. Because if you don't, you, it's personal. You break down this phrase and you hear how intimate our Lord is getting and how personal he's getting. He says, you, it's personal. He says it twice, verse 21, verse 24. He says, you will die. There's not a person in an audience who didn't know that at some point they were going to die. The question is not whether or not you'll die. The question is when will you die? And so Jesus says this with great certainty. You personally will die. What's the warning how you'll do that? He said you will die in your sins. God is on the earth wrapped in flesh, trying to get men to believe, and he's warning them, if you don't, you will die in your sins. It's a just circumstance, but an avoidable situation. It's just because they are your sins. And since sin is a transgression of God's law, then you deserve justice to be meted out. And so it's just, absolutely, but it's avoidable. You don't have to die in your sins. How could you avoid it? You can believe in him. And you can avoid dying in your sins, but what if you don't believe? Then you will die in your sins, but it doesn't stop there. You'll notice the next thing Jesus says is where I am. You see, life continues after death. Where I am, well, where are you, Lord? He's in heaven. John 14, 1 to 3, he said, I go away. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many rooms or mansions. Where I saw, I would have told you, I go away and prepare a place for you. I'm going away. Where are you going, Lord? John chapter 17, he prayed to the Father, restore to me the glory I had with you before the world began. After his death, burial, resurrection, it doesn't stop there. I know that's what we say because that's the gospel. And when we talk about being saved, you have to obey the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's right. But please understand, Jesus didn't stop at the resurrection. 
No, not at all. He spent 40 days talking to the apostles about the kingdom, and then the Bible says he ascended. There is the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. And they watched as he ascended back to heaven. Why do you stand here gazing up in the heavens? This same Jesus whom you've seen, so shall come in like manner. What happened on the other side when he got there? I saw in the night visions, one like the ancient of days, they brought him near before him. That is, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, when Jesus ascends into the clouds, no longer visible to the apostles, the angels meet him, bring him to the Father, and he is crowned king, coronated, and sits at the right hand of God over his kingdom. And thus, the gospel begins to be preached when he sets down as our king. He ascended into heaven, and now he is saying, where I am, you cannot question. How would you get there without him? How would you get to the Father without Jesus? Jesus is the light of the way to the Father. Please make no mistake about it, friends. Jesus came to finish the work of the Father. We're trying to get back to God. That's who we sinned against, and we're trying to get back to him. And Jesus breaks down at last to the Jews, and he says to them, if you don't believe, you'll die in your sins. And where I am, you cannot come. Let me ask you a question, friends. If you die in your sins and you can't go where Jesus is, where do you go? There are people who claim to believe in Jesus partly, claim to believe some of the things. Somehow they're going to figure out a way around his words. He makes it abundantly clear. If you don't come to me, you will go to hell. That's the Jesus position. That's Jesus position. Because you can't go where I am. We end this section, verses 28 down to verse number 30, and it ends very hopeful and sad at the same time. The Bible says, so Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am. When you put me to death on the cross, then you'll know that I am. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things that the Father has taught me. And who who sent me is with me. The Father's not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And verse number 30 of the Bible concludes this section by saying, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Many people came to believe. Sometimes you can get so fixated on the non-believers that you believe nobody is willing to believe, and yet that's not the case at all. Even in this section right here where the Jews and all of their issues and all of their reasons not to believe, some among them believed. Quick explanation is needed when we talk about the word belief. When we say believed in him there in verse number 30, what do they believe? Well, the very thing that's been said. They believed he was divine. They believed what he was saying. They believed the witnesses, the testimonies, the testimony he made, the testimony of the works, and, and John, and all of the testimonies, and the Father, all of they believed it. They believe he made the world. They believe he, his message. They believed his mission. They believed his home. They believed. Here's what you should know about belief. In Scripture, to believe is to obey. It's synonymous in its nature. Sometimes people have this notion that, well, you can believe and you don't have to do anything. That's not biblical. That's not taught in your Bible. If somebody has ever told you that, friends, I'm sorry. They gave you the wrong information. 
Belief is a work. It's something you do. John 6, 28 and 29, some people came to Jesus on one occasion. They asked, what do we need to do to work the works of God? And Jesus says, believe on him who he sent. You believe me. You believe the one he sent. Well, what does that mean? Hebrews 5, 8 and 9, the Bible says, with reference to Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect through those sufferings, he became the author of eternal salvation to everyone who obeys him. In order to believe Jesus is to obey Jesus. Well, what are you saying? If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is divine, Jesus is king, then you and I become everything in the opposite version of that. If Jesus is the creator, then we're the created. If Jesus is the king, then we're the citizen. If Jesus is the Lord, then we're the subject. And as such, this obeys him every time. This submits to him. It's not a title that he carries around loosely where somebody says, we'll call him Lord, but we won't give any credence to him actually being Lord. It doesn't work that way. In fact, Jesus must have sensed people living like that. In Luke 6 and verse 46, he asked the audience, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Anyone in authority and anyone over somebody would want the person to obey them. What boss at a job goes around saying, y'all don't have to do a word I say? How's that going to work with the employees? Well, the employees might love it. It won't work well for the company, though. It won't work well for the boss. Anybody in charge, if Jesus is Lord, then we submit. If we come to him, we obey. We hear his voice. He'll talk about sheep. We abide in him. In fact, if you still have your Bibles open, I hope that you do. We are winding. We've reached uh, uh, Austin's airspace. <laughs> Plane is descended. Look at verse 31 and verse 32. The very next section. So Jesus was saying, listen to it to those Jews who had believed him. What did he say? If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. To say that Jesus is divine, to say that you believe that, then you go to his word to follow after him. And so when you're trying to choose a church, you don't go popularly, as the opinion goes, go to the church of your choice. That's not what you do. If Jesus is Lord, you go to the Scripture and find his church. That's what you do. You find the truth. What's the truth about the church? That's what you would find. You go seek it out. Jesus said, I'll build my church. Well, I want to be saved. How am I going to do that? You don't turn to the yellow pages for a church or for salvation. You go to Scripture. You don't Google it. You go to Scripture. You find out what Jesus said about salvation. You find out what Jesus said about worship, about morality, about Christian living, about one's character, about the mind. You don't go find other sources for this information. If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is divine, then you continue in his word. And as a result, Jesus said, you'll know the truth. The truth is in the Scripture given by the Lord. It's not anywhere else. Jesus is divine. That's the claim. He lights the way to the Father. Without him, you can't get home. You can't get back to the Father. He told us. He showed us. 
And now he's warned us, if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. And where I am, you cannot come. So what should you do now? Let me offer an explanation. Because usually I'll just move right into what we call an invitation. It might be the case that you're visiting with us maybe for the first time. It could be the case you're listening online for the first time. We are not unaware as members of the Lord's body that we have a particular vocabulary that we use. We say things that other religious groups don't say. We understand that. And sometimes we don't always explain those. And so let me take a few minutes to try to explain. If you're visiting the Lord's body today, we call this section the invitation. And what we do during this time is to offer a way for you to express your belief in Jesus through obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even that phrase that we say, obey the gospel, it's not a common phrase. Very often it's not used. Maybe the first time you heard it. So what do we mean? In this book, the book of John, Jesus walks through what it means to become one who follows him. And there are several steps and things related to it. And so let me offer a quick explanation. If you have your Bible still open, look at John chapter 6. Because Christ, the Bible, is revealed to us in words, then it has to be learned. It's not something you feel. It's not something that jumps upon you. It's not anything like that. If you have your Bibles in John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 45 says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father comes to me. How do you come? You hear and you learn. And that's what we spent the other portion of our time together doing trying to instruct and teach about Jesus. And hopefully you have heard and learned ultimately that Jesus is the divine son of God and he is the one who lights the way to the Father. And without him, you couldn't get there. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's teaching that very point. Note it again in John chapter 8 because once you hear and learn that, Jesus wants you to believe it. This is why he says in 8.21 and 24, he says it twice. In fact, in 8.24, he says, therefore, I said to you, this is why I said it, that unless you believe that I am the Son of God, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Well, how would you believe that? You'd have to hear it and learn it first. Now, I appreciate the fact that over 2,000 years removed, it might be the case everybody in America has heard about Jesus. Please understand, when you're reading that in your Bible, they have it. They're interacting with Jesus for the very first time, and they're hearing him say it. And now that they've heard and learned what he said, he's asking them, do you believe it? Because if you don't believe it, you'll die in your sins. Well, what if you do believe it? Well, then if you do believe it, then you're ready to make a change, and that's what God requires. It means you are willing to change your mind about him. And the Bible calls that repentance. Go back to John chapter 4 and see an example of that very thing taking place. 
See how it works with the woman in John chapter 4. Now, in John chapter 4, you'll remember she had never met Jesus. As a result of that, she had no idea who he was. In fact, when she first speaks to him in verse number 7, notice what she says. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask of me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You see, this is the start of their conversation. This is what she believes of him. All she sees in, in front of her is a Jewish man who is, at least in her estimation, doing things that are out of harmony with their culture and their time. You're talking to me, and I'm a woman of Samaria. Does she think he's Lord? No, she does not. In fact, she questions him about what he thinks of himself. Slide down to verse number 11. She said to him, well, first go back to verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? She asked, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. I mean, in her estimation, you don't think you're greater than Jacob? Do you? I mean, are you that? This is what she thinks of him. You're a Jew. You're a man from some, now you're talking to me, a woman. And do you think you're greater than Jacob? She doesn't think much of Jesus yet. But if you keep reading, go down to verse number 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water and I will thirst no more and come to this well to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. Woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you hope, whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Well, how would you know that? She's intrigued. And so in verse number 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Then they talk about worship. Our fathers worship this mountain. Jesus said, no, Jerusalem is a place to worship. We worship what we know. You don't know what you're worshiping. And then he says, the hour is coming. We're not in this mountain nor in this, in this place where worship be done. Slide down to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Who's called Christ. When he that comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I that speak to you am he. At this point, the disciples came back. When they came back, slide over to verse 29. The woman left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? When we talk about repentance, we're talking about a change of mind. How do you get that change of mind? You have to hear and learn. You have to believe what you've heard and learned. And this woman, previously with four or five husbands, Jesus said, not your husband. She said, you're a prophet. No, he said, I'm the Messiah. And now she goes back to the city and she has changed her mind about him. That's repentance. And it's a change of life after that. And if you read the rest of that text, she does change. Person will say, well, surely you got to be saved now. No, because Jesus says you have to confess it. You have to confess it. John chapter 9, if you have your Bibles still open, we're in John chapter 9. Are we getting there? Yes, we are. If you know the plan of salvation, you know we're getting there because we're on confession. John chapter 9, what do we mean by confessing? If you visit the Lord's church, 
You will hear if somebody obeys the gospel, you'll hear somebody stand up and ask, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And the person they ask who is seeking to be saved will say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What are they doing? They're making a confession. Why is that important? Because it must be done. John chapter 9, we just read the Jews and their questioning of the people, of the parents and then of the son. who had, But notice again verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed. What did they agree on? What can't somebody say? What can't somebody do and stay in the synagogue if anyone did confess that he was the Christ? They would be put out. Well, what's the confession mean when you stand and you say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? It sounds very much like some rote expression where you have to go through some church's tradition of just saying these words. No, it's not that at all. A thousand times no, as V.P. Black would say, a thousand times no. No, it's not that at all. You look up this word confession, and it means to say the same thing. To say the same thing as what? That's the question. What you're being asked to confess is, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Who said that first? He did. He said, I am. He said, I am, I am, I am, I am. And if you don't believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And then he said, confess it. What do you mean by that? That means stand up and tell the world, yes, when you have the piles of people and you have a pile over here that says, I don't believe in Jesus, and you have a pile over here that says, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, put me in that pile. That's what your confession does. It says, I agree with Jesus. I say the same thing he said. He said he's the divine Son of God. I say he's the divine Son of God. And how do I do that? Not in my heart not in some secret closet. Nope. I confess that before men, because if you want to label me and tag me and put me in and discount me, make sure you do that with Christ. Make sure you do that when I'm standing with Jesus. I'm saying the same thing. And if you don't believe people will try to move you off your confession, just get on out in the world just a little bit. Some high schooler will go, to, they'll graduate and they'll go off to college and they'll be met with that. Do you believe? They'll be met with some professor on the board, several letters to his or her name, turn around right on the board, Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, God and Jesus. Who believes this stuff? Class will be silent. 18, 19-year-old scared of the old person who is supposed to know, standing up and demanding an answer. Anybody believe in the Easter Bunny? Anybody believe in Jesus? There might be a child, maybe two, may raise their hand, and then they'll be met with this, by the end of class, I'll fix it. By the end of the quarter, we'll make sure you don't, no sir and no ma'am, listen, you confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me ask you a question. When is that going to stop being true? You know that's not a locational confession. That's not true inside of Westside's building. That's not just true here. That's not just true at my house. No, move me to a college campus, still true. Move me to a workplace, still true. 
Move me to another country, still true. To another culture, still true. Put somebody up there with 18 degrees, still true. And the truth is, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot come. No, we're going to ask you, Jesus asked you to confess him, to say the same thing. That's what we do every week. We give you an opportunity. After you confess, what you'll find in Scripture is baptism follows. Throughout the Bible, even in this book, John chapter 3, the Jews were being baptized. John 3, 3 through 5. John 3, 23, there was much water there. But specifically with reference to Christ, after the cross, the gospel is preached for the very first time in the book of Acts in chapter 2. And you know what people are told? In order to be saved, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. No, after you hear and learn, after you believe, after you change your mind about Jesus, and after you say the same thing, then you're a candidate to be immersed in water, buried with Christ, to rise and walk in newness of life. And friends, if you do that, then you can go where Jesus is. You can go to heaven. Friends, if you do not, please don't allow somebody to tell you you can get there some other way because there is no other way but Jesus. This morning, we offer an invitation. And so if you're visiting and we have these moments where we take this opportunity and we'll sing a song and we'll all stand and these front rows are here so that if you're interested, if you have questions, if you would like, then you're more than welcome to come down. It's an invitation to that end. But if you don't want to do that, but you have questions, we have our elders here, our deacons here, preachers here, members here. Somebody can help you, and we'll get you the answers that you seek. Friends, Jesus Christ is the light to the Father. And without him, we're going to die in our sins, and we're not going to be able to go to heaven. Please come to Jesus this morning if you need to, as we stand and as we sing.